Church, as people of faith, we have great reason to give thanks this morning, to give thanks to God our Father who calls us His own, who welcomes us into His family through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me begin by this morning by asking, um, do you know what God thinks of you? Do you know how much He loves you? With an unfailing, never giving up love. You know, author and speaker... Uh, Steve Brown, who if you listen to the radio around, if you listen to Christian radio here in Birmingham, 88.5, perhaps you've heard him on the radio. This booming bass voice often begins his broadcast with these words. He says, God's not mad at you. In other words, God is not a God who stands on edge uh, waiting to squash you when you cross a line for he loves you. If that's the kind of God that he was, then none of us would be gathered this morning. None of us would be here this morning. None of us would be alive this morning because we've all crossed that line. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He loves you with a greater love than any other love you've ever known. The Lord Most High, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, loves you more than any love that you could ever know apart from his presence and love in your life and he desires to know you and to use you so i want us to see this morning as we open the word that god desires to know and to use you he does know you for he made you he knows everything there is to know about you there is nothing about you that god does not already know but he desires to be in close relationship with you he desires to be known by you and to work in you and to work through you so let me invite you to open up the Bible with me because we want to hear from him. We want to be led by him. We want to be instructed by the Lord. And uh, we've been journeying through the book of Exodus over the last several weeks. And so we pick up the story today in chapter 5, the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 of the book of Exodus. But in our ongoing uh, look into this, this story, we see today that God desired to know and to use Moses. But as we, as people of faith, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, read this particular story through the greater lens of the full story of God's word, we also see that God desires to know and to use us, that he desires to know and to use you and to know and to use me. We were made to know him, to know about him, yes, but even more so to know him personally, to be in relationship with him. In fact, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17. He said, now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so as we dive into this story, uh, nearly 3,500 years ago, God invited a man named Moses to know him. And, And by knowing him, to serve him and to trust him, to believe his promises and to follow his call. But it was a tough lesson to learn because as we saw last week, obedience to God's call does not mean that your life will be easy. It wasn't for Moses. And it won't be for you or for me. But even so friends. That's no reason not to serve him. That's no reason not to trust him. That's no reason not to believe in his promises. And to follow him in faith. And that's what he was teaching I think. Through our text for today. That's what he was teaching Moses. So let's look at it together. As you find your place in God's word. Let me invite you to join me standing. Whether in body or in spirit. For the reading of God's Holy Word. And you can find this text on page 48 of a Pew Bible. So we look at God's Word together. Exodus chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. The story continues. It reads this way It says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, 
Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So verse 9, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we come before you this morning desiring to hear from you. We come before you this morning giving thanks that you are a God who knows us and who loves us and who speaks to us. So Lord, speak to us now. By the presence and guidance and power of your spirit, through your written and proclaimed word, for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My two-year-old is at the why stage. And if you've ever been around toddlers, then you know uh, what I'm talking about. Uh, He asks why to everything. Uh, Eli, you need to eat your dinner. Why? Oh, Eli, you need to uh, you, you need to take a bath. Why? Eli, you need to pick up the toys that you just scattered all over the floor. Why? Eli, we need to change your diaper because it's beginning to smell up the house. Why? And of course, it's cute, right? For a little while until you realize that you can give no satisfactory explanation. You can explain that uh, your body needs food for energy in order to survive. And you can explain that you need to, to bathe so you won't smell and you'll have friends. And you can explain that Legos all across the floor are a tripping hazard and dangerous. But no matter how detailed of an explanation you give, the next question at this particular stage, unless there's uh, candy involved, is always... Why? And you try for a bit. And then eventually, because I'm your daddy and I said so, is about all you can muster out. Now our kids test our patience, but even so, we love them and we want them to grow in knowledge and understanding. You know, but sometimes we simply want them to know and to trust us and that to be enough. And you know, it's often the same in our relationship with God. God desires that we grow in knowledge and understanding. 
He gives us his word. He makes himself known to us. He wants us to to seek him and to learn more about him. He wants us to study his word. And I think to study his creation and to get to know him. God wants us to grow in knowledge and understanding, but with the recognition that some things are beyond our understanding. Some things are beyond us. Church, it's okay to ask God why. It's okay to ask God why. You see, we see in this text that after obeying the Lord and going to Pharaoh and calling for the king to release the Israelites from slavery, things go from bad to worse for these Hebrew slaves. And Moses, the messenger and servant of the Lord, responds with, why, Lord? Verse 22, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? You see, Moses is now doing exactly what God had commanded him to do. And things could hardly have gone any worse. More oppression from the Egyptians. A loss of credibility even among his own people, even among the Israelite elders who believed him at first. So understandably, Moses is disappointed. He's frustrated. He's confused. Not too long ago, he was trembling at the burning bush before the great I am. And now he's accusing God. Verse 23. He says to God, ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. In other words, come on, Lord. I've done what you said to do and you haven't delivered on your promise. Moses complains to God. And we can most certainly find fault with his complaint here. He's discontent. He's impatient. He's unbelieving. He's accusatory, in essence, saying, God, this is your fault. But as easy as it is for us to find fault with Moses' response here, notice that he takes his question straight to the Lord. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord. You see, with concern for the oppressed, his immediate impulse was to go And meet with God. Did you know that God stands ready to meet with you? That God welcomes you into his presence. He welcomes a conversation with you. He welcomes your prayers in any and every time. When you're disappointed, when you're frustrated, when you're excited, when you have joy, and when you have sorrow, God wants to meet with you. Desiring to know you and to be known by you. God desires to know and to use you. And when discouragement or doubt surrounds you, it's okay to ask him, Why? Why, Lord? Moses asked him why. King David asked him why. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, Lord? Lord, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In other words, God, I'm in trouble. Where are you? What are you up to? What are you doing? Why are you not rescuing me? Of course, you might say, well, Moses, yeah, we... Look up to Moses, but Moses was a flawed man. He was a murderer. David, man after God's own heart, but yet he was an adulterer and a murderer. Well, if that's not enough, King Jesus also asked why. On the cross in Matthew chapter 27, Jesus prayed. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the Bible grants us permission to ask God why. But he expects us to do so with recognition of who he is. He expects us to do so humbly and honestly. 
In other words, it's an appropriate way to ask. Ask humbly and honestly, recognizing that he is God. I don't mind if my children ask me why, if they do so respectfully. Likewise, God invites us. In fact, his word encourages us to be honest with him, to be humble before him. Yes, to recognize that he is sovereign, that he rules and that he reigns, that he's high above us. Let's ask humbly and honestly from the perspective of faith in him. And then let's listen for his response. And sometimes he seems to answer with, this is why, yada, yada, yada. This is why. And other times he seems to simply answer with a reminder of his character and his position. A reminder that he is God. A reminder that he is in control. And he is. He is in control. In fact, notice in this text how the Lord responds to Moses. Moses questions God. And yet the Lord doesn't get angry here with Moses. The Lord is patient with his servant. He doesn't get defensive or agitated. He is gracious and kind, reminding Moses of what he has already told him and of who he is. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you're going to see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. In other words, I've got this, Moses. I am sovereign. It's going to take me to do this. I am going to accomplish this. Moses, remember when I told you that Pharaoh would not respond favorably to this request. Remember, Moses, when I told you that I would harden Pharaoh's heart. Remember when I told you that it would take mighty deeds from me to convince him to release my people. Remember who I am and lean on me. So, friend, when uncertainty surrounds you, lean on him. Lean on the solid rock. The one who is our refuge and strength. The one whose character is unchanging. The one whose position and power is unmatched and eternal. And the Lord says, I am doing this. Trust me. He says, you are not alone. You have not failed. I am teaching you who I am and what it means to know me. As I teach Pharaoh who I am and what it means to submit to me. Moses, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Brother, sister, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, right? All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Why is Christ the solid rock on which we stand? Because God has entered into relationship with us through Jesus' son. Promising to save forever those who trust in him. So lean on him. For the fulfillment of his promises and plans is not dependent upon your strength or my strength. It's not dependent upon our resolve or our wisdom or our ingenuity or our creativity. But it will be fulfilled by him through us. God desires to know and to use you. He is in control and he keeps his covenant. He keeps his covenant. His commitment. He's committed to his word and he's in control. And that's a good combination He's powerful, he's sovereign, and he's faithful. That's a guarantee that what he says he will do will indeed happen. He promises to do it, and he has the power to do it. In the words of the psalmist, our God remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the earth he swore to Isaac. You see, a covenant is a relationship with a promise 
is different from a business transaction that's dependent upon services provided for continuation. I've got a business contract with Spectrum for home internet service, but I don't have a relationship with anybody at Spectrum. And if I stop paying my bills, it doesn't matter who I am or who they are. They're going to cancel my service. Or if they raise the price and I don't like it and I protest against it, I may cancel the service. Contract will be broken. But our relationship with the Lord, this type of consumer goods relationship is not what the Lord offers us. He offers us himself. Yes, he offers us his blessing, his provision, but most of all, the opportunity to know him and to be in relationship with him. And so here where the Lord says to Moses, I did not make myself fully known to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's saying that they did not experience his deliverance and his presence to the degree that Moses and his generation are now going to experience his deliverance and his presence. They certainly knew him. God made himself known to them. But essentially God is saying, now I am making myself known to you and this generation in a greater way. Same Lord, but different place in his story of salvation history. And friends, upon the fulfillment of God's plans and his promises through the coming of his son, the word now declares that Moses, even Moses, and this generation of Israelites who would be delivered from slavery in Egypt did not experience God's deliverance and his presence to the degree that you and me and every believer living on this side of the incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus has and does. See Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. So we read about God's covenant promises and we read about his promises to our spiritual ancestors in the book of Exodus. And as we do, we hear his promises to them, but we also hear his promises to us. So hear his promises to you. Hear his promises to you. He is faithful to his promises. So hear his promises to you. Hear the commitment he has made to you. His commitment to you and to me resembles the covenant that he made to the enslaved Israelites And it revolves around his plans to save us. Friends, he is the God who saves. God is the God. He is a God who saves. He is the God who saves. We can say a lot of things about who God is. And we ought to. We ought to study the word. So that we can rightly understand God and describe his character and his attributes. And no doubt we cannot fully describe God or the way that he relates to his people without describing the salvation that he offers. He is the God who saves. Don't miss all the descriptions of that salvation that are recorded right here in Exodus chapter 6. That find ultimate fulfillment in God's plans to save all who trust in the Savior. Like notice all the I will statements in verses 6 through 8 can't miss him. He is the God who saves by liberating us to worship. By liberating us to worship. Verse 6, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. A promise of deliverance and freedom from slavery. A real life story of God's liberating love that becomes a picture of God's liberating love expressed through Jesus, our liberator from slavery to sin. The one who gives us freedom to know and to worship the Lord. And don't don't forget, don't miss Exodus chapter 9 verse 1. That's why God liberated Israel from Egypt. He liberated them so that they may know and worship him. And friend, that is why the Lord liberates you. 
made you to know and to worship Him. And you will never be satisfied apart from knowing and worshiping Him. Receive His rescuing love. The kind of love that does for you and for me what we can never do on our own and never earn on our own. He is the one who accomplishes us this. He does this. He saves by liberating us to worship and he saves by redeeming and protecting us. He's a God who redeems and protects us. Verse 6 again, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. If we were going to explore all the uses and facets of redemption found in the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, we would be here for quite a while. Redemption includes the idea of purchasing and protecting, which we see in the Old Testament concept of the kinsman redeemer. Perhaps you remember the story of Ruth. Ruth becomes a widow and her mother-in-law Naomi becomes a widow. And in that day and time, that meant you needed, without offspring, you needed someone to care and to provide for you. And this is exactly what happens to the kinsman redeemer of Boaz. He takes them in and he becomes uh, he, he becomes Ruth's husband and she uh, bears a son, an offspring, and the, the lineage continues. It was the job of the kinsman redeemer to, uh, to, to rescue a family member who owed a debt or one who had been oppressed or one who had no offspring, one who's in need of protection and preservation. Friends, as we sang earlier this morning, God is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He is the one who has come to redeem and to protect us in the greatest offspring of these delivered Israelites, Jesus, the Messiah. Paul states it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, but when the set time had fully come, In other words, in God's perfect time, when God determined that it was time, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. He says, because you are His sons, believers, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, He says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. What a good word. What an encouraging word to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the son of God. Friend, remember that you have a redeemer. You have a family champion. You have an eternal protector who welcomes you into the family of the most high God. He is the God who saves by adopting us to be his people. He adopts us to be his people. Exodus chapter 6, God told Moses to say to the Israelites in verse 7, He said, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. A closeness of relationship described elsewhere in the Bible in familial terms, family language. God has already called the Israelites in Exodus chapter 4 verse 22, His son, His firstborn son. Of course, the New Testament is chock full of prayers to God, our Father. Right? Isn't this the way that Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father in heaven. John, the disciple of Jesus in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Friend, remember who you are. Remember who you are. When you're struggling this week, when you're struggling physically with fatigue or pain or discomfort, perhaps financially strapped, when you're struggling emotionally, 
grief or depression or heartache, when you're struggling, remember that through Jesus, you are a child of the Most High God. In His goodness and His grace, God saves us. And He saves us by liberating us to worship. He saves us by redeeming and protecting us and by adopting us to be His people. And finally, He saves us by giving us an eternal inheritance. He gives us an eternal inheritance. Exodus chapter 6, verse 8. Moses, go tell the Israelites, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I, I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. In other words, God is saying to Moses, I'm going to deliver this people. I'm going to deliver you because I've chosen you to be my people. And I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. I'm going to give you an inheritance, not something you've earned. But I've set this aside, this inheritance of a land, a physical place to dwell. Where I'm going to dwell with you and you're going to live in relationship with me and be salt and light to the ends of the earth. As we fast forward and we see the fulfillment of many of God's promises through the coming, living, dying, rising Of Jesus Christ. We too look toward an inheritance. An inheritance that is not of this world. That is not of the present. Certainly we experience spiritual blessings in this life as followers of Jesus. We receive forgiveness of sins and assurance that we are right with God. And oftentimes we experience even physical blessings beyond our understanding. God cares for us and provides for us and gives us a perspective to live in light of eternity. And so we look forward to a future inheritance that is not of this world. Theologians describe this as the already not yet of Christ's kingdom. It has come. Christ has come. Christ came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. His kingdom is broken into this world. We experience life with him here, but this is not the fullness of his kingdom. His kingdom has not yet been fully and finally consummated where, as it will be when Christ returns and gathers His people to forever live and enjoy His provision and presence. One pastor and theologian says this about this text. He says, God gives us a word here and throughout the Scriptures that we will suffer in this life. Let's not miss that Moses is suffering here. That the Israelites are suffering here. He says, do not be surprised when you get cancer. He says, do not be surprised when you lose your job. What God has promised us is resurrection from the dead. We are set free, but we still dwell in this body in a fallen world, and we are awaiting ultimate, final liberty. Church, we need to hear that message. This is not our home. We long for a future day. We are passing through this life, a world that is broken and decaying, even the best of things in this life. As we anticipate life forever with Jesus in a future home where all will be made right. And, well, let's not get too comfortable here. Let's live here as long as the Lord has us here. And let's serve Him for His glory. But don't get too comfortable here. This is not your home. As good as your life may be here. Passing through, looking for a future day. Longing to be with Christ. And Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He writes to persecuted suffering Christians. And gives these words of promise and expectation. He says that we believers have an inheritance. That can never perish, spoil or fade away. He says this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
follower of Jesus, you have an inheritance. Saved by the grace of God. Adopted into the family of God. Called a child of God and an heir, a co-heir with Christ, the scriptures teach. And there is an inheritance awaiting you. Not that you've earned, not that I've earned, but simply given to us by God's grace that can never be taken away. That we will experience and enjoy forever and ever. We must savor this good news, this gospel, the gospel of knowing God as our Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Friend, do you know Him? Do you trust Him? Have you come to a place of repentance and faith in Him? Are you building your life upon Him? Do you know this gospel? If not, turn and trust Jesus today. Turn and acknowledge that you are broken and sinful and in need of a Savior. And He is that Savior. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John records the gospel of Jesus saying, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Turn and trust in Jesus, acknowledging your need for a Savior. Cry out to this one recognizing that He is enough, that He is sufficient, that He is the source of salvation and that you desire to follow after Him, receive the gift of His life. He is the God who saves. Has He saved you? Friend, God desires to know and use you. Do you know Him? Certainly I pray that you can answer that affirmatively today. Rejoicing that you know Him. Church, we have reason to rejoice. Regardless of what our current circumstances on this earth may be because we have an eternal inheritance. We have reason to sing and to celebrate and to gather. And if that is you, if you know Him, then continue building your life upon this gospel. Continue preaching this gospel to yourself because we are prone to wonder. We are prone to forget. We are prone to run after and chase after other things. And we need to be reminded of the gospel truth. This is why it's so important that we gather and gather regularly with God's people. This is why it's so important that we read God's word on our own, that we meditate upon it, that we hear it, that we listen to it, that we revel in it, that we build our lives upon it until Christ returns or calls us home. Preach it to yourself, but don't be content leaving it for yourself. It is for you, but it's not just for you. Preach the gospel to yourself, and as you do, trust him enough to tell the world about him. Trust him enough To be bold in telling the world about him. I think this is a missionary text. Here's Moses called and commissioned by God. Go and confront Pharaoh. Gather my people and tell them that I will redeem them. That I will rescue them. That I am going to deliver them. Go. And Moses goes and he faces opposition. A reminder that that all of our ministry efforts will not be welcomed. That we will encounter hardship and opposition. But a reminder to us, as God reminded Moses, I am with you. I will go with you. Trust me. See, God desires to know and to use you and me and every follower of Jesus. And let me just say, this is why if you are able... Church, we need you to be here during the fall festival and other events like this. This is not simply an event for us. 
This is an opportunity to be salt and light and a hospitable Christian witness to dozens, if not hundreds of people who would gather here that are unchurched and likely lost and without a savior. What an opportunity that we have to look around and to engage others in conversation, to serve, yes, in a variety of ways. Many of you have served. You've already donated candy and you're working carnival booths and others are cooking hot dogs and cleaning up. And we need all of that. That's the way the church functions. But we need you. We need to be salt and light. We need to be a faithful gospel witness and a welcoming presence that points others to the saving love of Jesus Christ. God desires to know and to use you. Are you being used by him? He desires to use you, believer, to proclaim his glory and his grace. Who do you know who needs to know God? Why don't you trust him enough to tell the world about him? For he desires to use you. Would you bow with me? Father, we are humbled that you would use us. Broken, sinful vessels who have consistently run from you and rebelled against you. Forgive us, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your rescuing love. Lord, that you have chased us and you chasten us. And you call us your children. You call us your sons and your daughters. You give us an inheritance in heaven. You claim us as your own. You invite us to be your people. You invite us to know you. To live in relationship with you. To approach you confidently and boldly through the blood of Jesus. Knowing that you love us and welcome us because Jesus paid it all. He paid the price for us. Father, you, you are a redeeming God. Christ our Redeemer has come. Father, may we build our lives upon upon Him and His gospel. May we serve You faithfully. Lord, and now may we continue wrestling with the truths that You are presenting to us through Your Word. And may we respond with repentance and faith and worship and devotion to You. Lord, guide us to that end for Your glory. For we are here for You. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.